Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's program, we're going to look at uh, some important issues that have come out of the inflation news that's been coming out of the US. It's been a lot better than expected, that inflation news. So I want to know whether a fund manager like Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital and the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund see how he's reacting. What stock is he buying as a consequence of the news that's coming out of the US. And then we're going to talk to Raymond Chan. And Raymond look, wants to look at a number of stocks. I've asked him about Bitcoin, how, how he would play Bitcoin at this point in time. And then Santos, Transurban, uh, REA, and Zero. His take on all these companies are really, is really, really interesting. And then, um, but we, I want to first kick off with Paul Ricard and myself looking at the healthcare sector. Now, four stocks in particular CSL, Resmed, Rams, Ramsey and Sonic Healthcare. Are they in the buy zone? Is it the right time to buy healthcare? And our analysis is, I think, very, very interesting. So let's kick off now with Paul Rickard and myself talking about the healthcare sector. And today we want to shine the light on a big question. Is healthcare set to shine? Paul? Give us a, a rundown on the healthcare sector. Yeah, look, traditionally, Peter, I get think of people think of healthcare as a defensive sector, and that's certainly the case in the USA. Australia's a little bit different because we have uh, companies that are really focused on a global marketplace. Then most of their revenues actually come outside Australia, uh, and they tend to be quite specialised or at least in their niche in products or services. And so uh, the companies that at least re represent the major part of our healthcare sector. Uh, tend to command pretty high price earnings multiples. So we actually probably think more of a growth sector rather than a defensive sector. And the reason why I think we think of it as a growth sector, Peter, is there really are some very strong tailwinds. There are three. Obviously, ageing population, we all know people are getting older. That means they need more health services. Secondly, is, as uh, technology gets better uh, and, and expectations about how long we're going to live increase, Amazingly, we all seem to want more health services. So there's a there's a function of ongoing demand uh, for healthcare and health services as as the technology improves. And thirdly, and this is true in every Western economy, uh, governments produce or are a major component of the healthcare sector in, in the sense that they provide a lot of the expenditure. And over the last many many years. I mean, government expenditure has been growing at a function of GDP plus. In other words, it's been increasing at a higher rate than, than real gross domestic product. And that trend doesn't seem to go away. So more money that government is tipping into the healthcare sector. And those three tailwinds are pretty important in terms of, uh, of the demand and creating the demand for healthcare services. So as a result, Peter, it's been a pretty strong performer over the long term. Okay, let's have a look at Australia's performance versus America's. Yeah, so this is a chart of Australia's performance and the USA's performance in healthcare over the last one year up to 10 years. And I've compared it, the performance to the respective uh, share market uh, benchmark. So you can see in Australia over the last 12 months, uh, healthcare has been an underperformer losing 9.3%. That compares to the S&P ASX 200 losing 2%, and that, that takes into account dividends over that 12 months. But once you go longer, over three years, five years, and 10 years, you can see that it's really outperformed. Particularly on 10 years, healthcare's yeah. uh, produced a return of over 16% per annum, uh, and the uh, market itself return is about 8.7%. So a massive 
outperformance over that 10 year period. Conversely, in the United States, healthcare has actually overperformed in the last 12 months. It's actually up 0.8% compared to the S&P 500, which is down almost 15%. But, but you know, notwithstanding that, uh, it's still up and even over 10 years, uh, it's up uh, more than 2% almost compared to the market as a whole. So both in Australia and the United States, uh, healthcare has outperformed the broader market uh, over that longer term time frame. But certainly those numbers, Paul, underline that point you make that here in Australia, it does look, look more like a growth sector rather than a defensive one, but in the US it's definitely a defensive play. Yeah, and I think that's a function of two things. First of all, Peter, as I said, it's a global marketplace for our Australian companies, so they really, uh, most of their revenue comes from offshore and that give, allows them to grow. Uh, secondly, they're very niche and very specialised, but also when we look at the United States, there are in the healthcare sector, there are perhaps some more hospitals and almost consumer, consumer companies uh, in that sector, which tends to mean the focus is pretty narrow. It's pretty much on the American market. So uh, I think that explains why the, the performance and at least the characteristics of the sector are, are so different. Okay, let's look at some of the major companies that dominate the healthcare sector in Australia. And the first one, of course, is our favourite. You and I both like CSL. Let's have a look at that. Yeah, we're huge fans of CSL. And CSL is now three businesses, of course. It's blood plasma products. That's a global marketplace. 90% plus of the revenue coming from outside Australia. Uh, it also has a huge business in influenza vaccines. And the third one has just bought a business in, in, it's called V for Pharma, which is into the treatment of uh, chronic kidney disease. So look, uh, that's a five-year chart of CSL. Uh, hasn't really done a lot this year. In fact, if anything, it's, but it is up a little bit over the course of the last, uh, at least in calendar 2022. Brokers like it, Peter. A current broker consensus of almost $325. Uh, CSL is trading around 286. So the brokers see quite reasonable upside. You've got to say, it's only doing a lot of work between about 260 and $290. I think at some stage CSL will break out of that range. Okay, let's go to our next company. Yeah, Ramsey Healthcare. Look, again, a little different because it's a hospital operator, but it's diversified uh, at a very different share price graph over five years. I guess in part between, it's seen as a little more defensive, but also uh, in 2022, uh, had a very big takeover offer, an effective price of almost uh, over $90 for Ramsey. Now that takeover was rejected and it's actually fallen through. The price has dropped down to about the low $60. Uh, and so that accounts for the share price, this part. Uh, the brokers see some consensus upside to about $67, but I think on that chart, Pete, there's actually a little bit more to Ramsey, and uh, in the low 60s, it's looking like a pretty attractive proposition to me. Yeah, and I know uh, June Bay Lou of Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund uh, only told me uh, this week that she's a, she really likes um, um, uh, Ramsey going forward. Let's go to another unique company, the one that's an example of what you've been talking about, ResMed. Yeah, ResMed, of course, in the producer's sleep apnea devices, uh, and again, very now centred in the US in terms of where its business is. In fact, it's a dual listed company these days and the primary listing is actually in the US. It's been a hugely successful growth story, Peter, um, up from a low of about, well, just five years ago, it was trading about $8 up to the 
to the over the $40 mark. It's come back a bit in the course of the last 12 months as the market has, has softened and the market's punished companies a little bit on high multiples, but seems to be finding a base in the low $30. Brokers think there's some upside. They've got a target of about $36.60 uh, compared to uh, $33.30, but has a pretty consistent growth story to tell. Uh, and I think, again, another really good stock for your portfolio. Now, a company that's had an up, its ups and downs is Sonic, but it did pretty well during the COVID period. Yeah, Sonic did really well. It's a pathology company, Peter, and really benefited from a, someone had to do all the, uh, the, the, the PCR testing and, and Sonic did that. Interestingly enough, although Sonic is, is, is really dominates the pathology sector in Australia, it's now a company where over 60% of its revenue is coming in from outside Australia. So it's, really, it's big in the United States, it's big in Europe, uh, and they're even more, they're more important markets than what's going on in Australia. It's come back a bit uh, as a result of the, you know, the, the reduction in PCR testing. I think it just got overpriced, Peter, but again, in the low 30s, looks like to have reasonable value. It's probably more in the defensive nature given the pathology services, although they benefit clearly from all those um, tailwinds I talked about. But uh, the broker see upside a target price of $36.11 compared to the ASX where it's trading around about $33. Yeah, so putting it all together, Paul, and particularly looking at that chart of yours showing the long-term um, price movement of uh, the healthcare sector in Australia, it, it's a kind of sector you have to have in your portfolio over the long-term. Yeah, I think it is, Peter. I think it really, because as I said, those, uh, those tailwinds are so strong and that's what gives it the growth characteristics. Interesting enough, uh, you know, if, if we think interest rates maybe is sort of getting towards the top, inflation's coming towards the top, given that the market was fairly punishing on, on, uh, on sectors, particularly, you know, the Australian sectors with high growth multiples, uh, if the market sort of starts to think that, uh, you know, the, the, the interest rates may be peaking, it may start to look a little more favourable again on healthcare. So I think yeah, you're supported by potentially not just the strong tailwinds, but you're supported by a re-rating of companies on higher multiples. So I think there's upside for the healthcare sector over the next 12 months in Australia. Well, joining us now is Raymond Chan of uh, Morgans, and uh, great to see you, Raymond. Thank you, Peter. Always love to see you. Yeah. Let's just talk about some of the issues that are pretty big in the news right now. Bitcoin. Uh, where are we with cryptocurrencies? And do any of your clients, uh, or have you advised any of your clients around cryptocurrency in the past? Yeah, um, very good question. Uh, well, we, we are not allowed to advise on uh, crypto, um, you know, as a house. Um, I guess crypto uh, is, a, um, is an area where, you know, people need to pay attention to. However, there's also a lot of, uh, I guess, regulatory uncertainty. Uh, yeah. As such, you know, you know I, I think I'm in the market long enough to, to, be, to be patient to get to know the details more, especially, you know, we need to, you, we need a seal of approval uh, from the regulator in terms of how we are sitting uh, before, you know, we, we are, are able to advise to the client. So uh, I'm sitting on the sideline, certainly miss on the way up, but certainly uh, also a word on the way down as well. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly an alternative asset, which 
I guess some advisors might have taken the risk uh, uh, to get into, but they'd be very, very worried, and so would their clients be right now. Let's go to the more conventional areas where we have a lot more confidence uh, and some stocks that you want to talk about. Santos, what's your view? Are you adding Santos to your, your holdings? Yeah, I, I like Santos. Uh, while the investor day appeared to be, you know, disappointing uh, in terms of the outlook, however, we, we see very strong thematic, um, you know, with the LNG uh, output and export, and also the demand of uh, of the resources, um, especially in uh, 2023. One of the key things I look at is, yes, you know, we have a strong demand from Europe. However, what happened in China? China Yes, they're relaxing a little bit, but still predominantly locked down for this year. What if after the two session, which would be a key day for those who observe China, two session is an annual event in March where uh, all the Communist Party member will meet up and vote on a number of things. And there's a strong suggestion that, you know, there will be further relaxation after the two session in next March. Yeah. What if the uh, China go back to the market, become a net importer of LNG again? So uh, that, that, that is, you know, uh, where I feel uh, the opportunity is going to be. And also with Santos, you know, a few years ago, Santos was lower with debts. And the current management team done a really good, good job paying down the debt and making more sustainable, diversified the business. So uh, I continue to feel very comfortable with Santos, despite the recent setback in the investor day. Okay, let's go to Transurban now. You you wouldn't say it's, it's, it's priced at a low level, but is it the kind of stock that you keep adding to your portfolio when you, you see it come off the boil a little bit? Uh, buy on the deep uh, may, may be a way to go with uh, Transurban. I did mention before, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the debt level uh, for Transurban. Of course, those who, who observe Transurban will know they, they have the ability to uh, uh, organize the debt level. They sell like 20, 30 years bond at a very low rate uh, to the wholesale investor in the past. And the assets they, they hold are... Uh, 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 a solid, a long-term reliable assets. And any further price weakness may attract corporate activities. However, in the rising interest rate cycle, actually, I don't think uh, um, Transurban is a must-have. Um, I feel there's probably more opportunity given the share market uh, um, correction that we have seen from the beginning of the year. I certainly see other opportunities rather than Transurban to be in the portfolio, especially, you know, the, the dividend yield is well, well, well below 5% at the moment. Okay. Now let's go to two areas, or was one area, namely tech stocks, mm. at a time when we're starting to see some better than expected inflation news coming out of uh, the US. And I guess if that continues, tech stocks will eventually get a nice rev up. And we've already seen some of the big ones had a good, a good time last week. Um, let's go to a, what you, you might call a quality tech stock in REA, which also has the, the headwinds of what's going in the property sector. What's your, how are you treating REA right now? I like REA. Um, first of all, REA is majority owned by uh, News Corp. So News Corp owned about 61.5%. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, for those who remember at one stage, News Corp tried to top over mm -hmm. uh, uh, REA at a much lower price. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And um, with ROEA, the, the headwind, as Peter, you mentioned a moment ago, is the softening of the property market. A good example is, you know, uh, in October, the national residential listing already down 18% year on year. What it means is lower listing will result in lower revenue. However, I argue, um, you know, REA certainly have a few ways to mitigate uh, the risk of losing too much revenue because in the slowdown of the property market, the, ven uh, the vendor will take longer to sell. This mm -hmm. means they will have to pay more for advertising. And also in a tougher time, they may have to go for a premium option offered by REA. And the premium option will allow the vendor to have their listing put on the top of the list. In the tough time, you know, this is the option they will go for. With ROEA, I think uh, it's important to not only look at the Australian business, of course it's dominant, more like 95% of the revenue, but it's the growing Indian business that they have. So ROEA for many years, they try to put a lot of money into the India business. They, 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 they rebrand it, uh, ROEA India. Um, now they, they consolidate into number two position in uh, India. At the moment, yes, it's only 5% of the revenue. However, this is a, a country with uh, same population as China, but a younger demographic. This is something I, I think is very important to look at, uh, you know, for the long-term uh, uh, investment in, R, uh, in ROEA. At the moment, the PE, yes, is still high, about 34 times. Dividend yield, not much, 1.34%. However, for patient investor, for long-term investor, I feel, you know, the recent weakness will, will, will be, well, when I say recent, it's more like from the beginning of the year, the weakness offer opportunity for us to take a look of this company. Yeah. And, and I guess, Ray, it's fair to say that, if you want to invest in REA, you, you're investing in two really important themes that help this business. One is the addiction to property for Australians. And you know, a, a bad property cycle doesn't last too long, maybe one or two years. But at the flip side, you've got this growth potential of India, which is you know obviously going to be a, a very good thing for any company that has exposure to it. Let's go to another interesting tech company, one I've always liked, but has had challenges in recent times, and they have reported recently, Zero. What's your current take on Zero? Okay, take a step back. The valuation on Zero, yes, the share price has gone down a lot. Uh, for those who uh, who do not use Zero, uh, Zero, of course, is a accounting software to help the medium and small uh, business. And um, they they particularly useful because it's user friendly, um, and the company record tremendous growth year on year. The the catalyst for zero is when the founder of NYOB, uh, after the 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 period where they cannot engage in the same, same business after they sold the business to the private equity. When the founder of NYOB joined Zero, that there's a game changer. They consolidate uh, the Australian market. They continue to grow. However, along with other tech stocks, it got sold down heavily. Um, and it's interesting. Zero recently dropped below the seventy-five dollars mark. What do I mean by that? Because for a long time, seventy-five dollars seems to be a fall for Zero because that is the value. Uh, the market attribute for the number of members that they that they have. 
if we purely look at the PE, you know, the PE will be over 300 times. People will have to be, be mindful. However, with zero, we have to look at it. Uh, okay, what if eventually they can get back into growth? The problem with the, the struggling share price at the moment is they, they have some headwind in their UK business and the US business. The US is not growing as much as they want. The market needs confidence that they can grow that market again. So this is, you know, a confidence issue with zero at the moment. For me, I feel, you know, I will give the uh, company the benefit of the doubt. And I feel, you know, the company at the moment is holding net cash and they invest a lot of money. Uh, for example, for $1 they invest into the company, they got about 6 to $7 return in terms of revenue. So this is a type of growth company. You don't get a sense of dividend out of it. However, you know, price weakness right now, I, I wouldn't mind to position myself, you know, into, into such company. Yeah. And I guess it, it, two good things would help Zero. That, that I don't think they can avoid a recession in the UK, and that's not going to help their business. But if the US avoids a recession, and we see that tech stocks right around the world take off, um, Zero will get pull along in that updraft as well, won't it? Agree, Peter. And uh, corporate acti activities will be something that, that we have to look at. Remember, Zero is actually now trading below where it were uh, at the 2019 level. And they, they and in fact, they, they have more members, subscribers, mm. monthly paying subscribers than the 20, 2019 level. So certainly I think, you know, this is the one, uh, you know, with the right risk habitat, uh, with a growth-oriented patient money uh, will be, you know, uh, it stocks to look at. Okay. Well, I tell you what, uh, I agree with you and the lorikeet sitting on my balcony that's been squeaking in, my, in this apartment at Nusa for a, a holiday. Totally agrees with you as well, Raymond. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Well, joining me now is Marcus Bogdan of uh, Blackmore Capital, and also he's the fund manager of the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. And uh, he's a professional manager. He, this is his job to, to watch markets and to invest accordingly. And I'm keen to see how he's interpreted the better than expected inflation number, the CPI, last week, and then a pretty good um, uh, PPI reading, which is the producer price index in the US, which the Federal Reserve watches pretty closely. And I'm keen to see how he's treating this in terms of his investing. So welcome, Marcus. Good morning, Peter. Good to see you. Okay, so, so, you, you heard me, so you know what my question really is, how are you responding to these signs of better inflation in the US? Well, I think looking at the inflation, um, goods inflation is starting to see some deflation there. Um, and that was represented by you know, much weaker results you could see with Target. Um, still quite supportive around services inflation, uh, but it was very much welcomed by the markets. And you saw bond yields rally quite significantly. And on that rally, that was supportive of uh, a much greater uplift in the share market and particularly in those 
um, shares that benefits from lower, potentially lower interest rates going for, forward. So for the first time, we are now looking at companies such as Goodman to, to add to the portfolio, um, where they are beneficiaries of potentially lower interest rates. So it's definitely given um, the markets in the short term a pickup. Um, mm. But I think the big question for 2023 is the earnings outlook. Okay. So so in many ways, to, to explain what you're saying is that if inflation looks like it's slowing in the US, you would expect the Federal Reserve to slow down its rate rises and the expectation that that should happen has been, been showing up in the bond market where, in fact, yields are starting to come off the boil, which is a good thing for ultimately growth stocks. Uh, and Goodman, I guess, is an interesting growth stock. It's 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 kind of it, it it's it's not a typical growth stock, but it, it is growing in that that REIT sector section of the market. And so, remembering last year, they uh, generated earnings growth of twenty five percent. This year, it's slowing, but it's still a very attractive level at around 11, 11% with an ungeared balance sheet. And so, uh, hence the interest in, in, in Goodman at this, at this point in time. Given what you've, you've already implied, you've talked about, you've got question marks over earnings. Are you sort of reflecting the, the double-edged sword at the moment that on one hand, we want inflation to go down, but we don't want to get recession? So. Is that part of your interpretation? You have to work out how serious might the slowdown be and that then would affect earnings and that is going to affect the kind of stocks you'll add to your portfolio. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent summary. Um, and obviously we are focused on earnings because earnings uh, drive what we expect on dividend growth as well. So if earnings slow, we generally see uh, a slowing in dividends. Uh, but in Australia, we're still expecting to see modest earnings growth, nowhere near what we've seen in the last couple of years, but not stepping back into a recession for the foreseeable future and still being able to deliver very modest earnings growth. So that should be broadly supportive of either stable dividends or, or slight growth in dividends going forward. Okay. Now, we know that our stock market sold off uh, pretty heavily in the first half. I think we we're down about 16% at one stage. And of course, we're only down what about 5 or 6% now. But mm -hmm. a lot of that sell-off was on the expectations that interest rates would bite and would hurt earnings. Have we seen earnings hurt so far? Not yet, um, but re remembering, and as, as you're being uh, the, the in-house economist, there is yeah. a lag with these interest rates, uh, and we do expect to see uh, the effect of those rises uh, in the early part of 2023. So what we've been grappling with at the moment is obviously the high inflation having an impact on companies, but we haven't yet seen that translate into a higher interest expense 
or for households at this point in time. And retail broadly is still being um, quite strong, both here in Australia and a very strong report overseas in the US last night. Yeah, okay. So thinking through um, what you've said and throwing in the fact that you've gone for a company like Goodman Group, there, there obviously are a group of companies that have probably been over smashed by the market and even if their earnings is affected the level of the the smashing the the, the, mm -hmm. the reduction of this their stock price mm -hmm. well well have been excessive compared to what might happen to their earnings is, is that what you're basically thinking about goodman and if you're thinking about that about goodman are there any other companies on your short list that you think you're going to watch and monitor on the basis that they too may well have been over smashed with their share price mm -hmm. and their earnings might not um, drop as much as what the market's kind of been predicting in mm -hmm. the cost. Mm -hmm. Well, as a general rule for high quality companies, and that's what we're attracted to because of earnings resilience and dividend resilience, when those high quality companies are sold off in the share, share market, but the underlying business remains sound, then they are stocks that we absolutely put on our watch list. So Goodman Group was trading on a P of around 30 times. Today, it's around 17 times exactly. with around 11% earnings per share growth. And so that prompted us uh, to go back and revisit uh, Goodman Group. More recently, just before we saw the real rally in commodity prices and the uptick in BHP's price. Again, another very high quality company, a very attractive dividend yield forecast to be around 7% for 2023. Uh, very sharp pullback in their share price. And so that was one which we added to in the portfolio in recent weeks. Uh, and fortunately, we've seen uh, a strong rebound in the commodities, particularly in, in BHP, uh, with greater optimism around uh, potentially a reopening of China uh, and some further stabilisation of their property market. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because we, we talk a lot and we talk about various companies that you have in and out of your portfolio. Now, Ampol, was Ampol one of your holdings? And there have been some news around Ampol. What was your reaction? If you're still holding Ampol, what was your reaction to the news about the company? So historically, we have held Ampol in, in, the, port, in the portfolio, uh, but we did sell it um, about nine to 12, 12 months 12 months ago. Um, and our preference would actually be rather than facing into uh, into the fuel fuel markets direct directly uh, and, and being um, exposed to that volatility, uh, we actually hold a, a, an owner of property which has service stations on it, which yeah. um, um, which is the 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 the, um, the Coles Express ones, which provide us a much more stable income stream and dividend income stream as as well. So. Um, Ampol is very much facing into the volatility of the energy markets, and we wanted what we wanted to have was to have a, a more stable business with higher dividends, and that's why we own Waypoint over Ampol at this point at this stage. So Waypoint is the, is a real estate business that owns 
the actual land upon which certain stations are. Okay, and, and and have you tried to work out the the long run implications for those sorts of businesses when electric vehicles take over? And, and some people, oh, you know, who wants to own a service station then? But I guess my the, the argument is that these service stations will have charging uh, stations for EVs, and maybe people will have to spend more time at a service station on a highway. And, and therefore, they'll go and spend more money in the cafe buying coffee and, and whatever. Is that the thinking? Yeah. Well, yes, potentially. And obviously, that is a key risk going forward, not in the immediate future, but certainly if we're looking at 10 to 15 years and the trends towards EV, EVs and the government support for that. Uh, but these are really land holdings. They've got convenience retail on them generally in high traffic areas. Uh, and there is uh, an underlying value of the real estate. And that is um, that is what is attractive and also very long leases on, on that land as well. You know, um, 10 years plus with plus CPI uh, inflation rent increases each year makes it certainly attractive over the next five to 10 years. And over the last couple of years with inflation on the rise, it would have been a bonus payoff for that, that organisation. Yes, in, indeed. And also, and that translates as they're getting that growth in the revenue, that translates in an uplift of the distribution, which is what we're primarily focused on. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Peter. And that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, we're back on Monday. And if you want to know more about the kind of investments that Paul and myself and our other experts are into, go to switzerreport.com.au. Once again, see you on Monday.